Good morning, Sunrise. Uh, it's so lovely to see so many of you here. Uh, we're excited for what's in store. We're going to start the morning off um, reading from the book of Ephesians. Do you hear these words? But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. I hope you remember those words. I hope they resonate with you as we sing, as we listen, and as we worship in a multitude of ways today. So why don't you stand and sing with us? We're going to enter into a time of worship.
Of the goodness of God. 
we thank you uh, for the ways in which you are good, uh, both the ways in which you are good that we understand and we can comprehend uh, and the ways in which we can't. Uh, ask that you grant us patience in those moments where your understanding of what is good far eclipses ours, that we could find comfort in knowing that we have someone, something who knows what is good in a manner far beyond anything we could ever understand. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. God is good. Have a seat and uh, thank you so much, worship team. What a beautiful morning and uh, great selections to the, the God of the mountain is the God of the valley. I will say, I will sing of the good, I can't even read my writing, I will sing of the goodness of God. We enter his gates with thanksgiving, we enter his courts with praise, and uh, a verse from, from this morning too is, um, if you abide in my word, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Welcome to Sunrise for partners here, there's actually a partnership class, I'll talk about that a little bit too. If you, if you feel uh, you, you'd like to have a, a, a home here with a loving family that is totally imperfect, we're that group, and uh, we would love to have you join us here. If you seek information, if you're looking for help, uh, if you have an idea, there's a board out on the side, and I don't mention this often, but there's a, I have this to share, or I have this that I need, or you know someone who, is, who has a need. Post it on that board. Uh, someone will, will look at that and get to it. And I was thinking this morning when I was here at 4 o'clock practicing my announcements that there's not a lot going on. I, I'm glad somebody got that. There's not a lot going on here between 8.30 and other, other than the practice and stuff like that, 8.30, 10 o'clock, that type of thing. If you have a mission, a ministry, if you want a, a small group, if you want to bring somebody in, if you want to share the love of God, or do something. There's room, there's space here, and then there's people here too. So talk to me, talk to some of the staff. We'll find out how that we can all minister to each other, lift up Jesus Christ so that the whole world, including us, our families, and even our enemies can be drawn to him. A uh, couple of announcements too. There's, a, there's things happening today. There's a skating party this afternoon, and there will be snacks and, uh, and, and uh, things that the, the kids can do. So that's, that's today. And it, it's, it's really cool. After church, there is a new partners class. Oh, that's changed. Okay. Uh, and that will be just reannounced for one that... Oh, sure. He is preoccupied. Yeah, that's... Well, obviously what happened is too many people want to come in, so we have to, we have to rent a bigger building. I'm sure that's what it is. But we'll, we'll get that, we'll get that uh, announcement and update. There's wine and theology this week and information on the board, and there's information at the back table, too, for, for those that are looking. A, a nice gathering of, uh, and, and, and sharing type thing. If, you know, especially if, if you're, my, my heart is, if, if you're on the outside, if you need something, someone, at Sunrise, that's why we exist. We exist to reach out, to have relationships with each other, and to just find a way to, uh, draw us all closer to Christ and his kingdom. And then there's uh, the 28th. There's something coming up then. What? There we go. That's the pizza game night. And 6 to 7.30. And uh, that, yeah, that, that'll, that'll be fun. Um, 
So we also take a break here. I, one of the things I'd like to share too, just I, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a member of the uh, consistory and uh, the elder board, our, our directors. There's a lot that goes on here. I just thank them all for, for the work that they do. If you see someone that uh, you, you'd like to chat with, ask a question, please do that anytime. Uh, we'd, we'd love to help and to serve in that way. We're going to have a, a little three-minute break. I, the other thing is there's gifts and offerings here. We are supporting the ministry here together. Some people are called uh, to give specially. Other people, as, as you may, God takes every gift, he multiplies it, and he uses it for the benefit of his kingdom. I'm so thankful the ministry of the word. We have communion today. And I was just thinking as I was driving in, too, we've gone in the last year, we've gone through many difficult uh, paths, um, losing loved ones or, or other things, too. But um, we've, we've gone through the ministry of the word, which is the story of everything, the story of who we are, the, the importance of prayer, and now we're in Sabbath. And it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. So thanks for being here. If you're online, we're uh, glad that you've joined us. We're going to take a, a few-minute break, and then we'll be back here for, for the ministry of the Word. God bless. All right, everyone. If we could find our way back to our seats, that would be great. All right, well, thank you so much uh, for, for being here today. It is, uh, it is good to see you all. Um, so we're actually going to be looking yet again. Um, we're going to be cycling through, and we're going to be taking another look and another swing at Leviticus chapter um, 25 um, is going to be where we're going to be today, and we're going to be looking at that particular passage um, from a little bit different perspective um, as we continue on our series on Sabbath, and today we're going to be talking about the Sabbath as trust. So many, many, many moons ago, uh, when I was probably about 85 pounds lighter um, and had much more energy for life and for work and for things like that, Amy and I had bought our first house just after uh, Caleb was born. And so how our early married rhythm sort of went is that uh, five days after our second anniversary, Drew was born and we were super excited. Um, and we thought that we would wait maybe three or four years, then have a second child, but on the back of that little bottle of pills that you sometimes use to uh, prohibit children from being born, it says it's like, what, 98% effective, and 18 months later came along Caleb. Yes, reports of my virility are highly understated. And so <laughs> we were... Um, Quickly, the parents of two boys, two children in, in diapers, two uh, uh, very rambunctious little guys, and they really gave us lots of stories uh, early on in our married life. Sh uh, shortly after Caleb was born, um, we moved into our first house, which Drew affectionately referred to as the blue house. It was a split level. You guys, you, you know those old split levels? Right? where you walk in and there's a little landing and then you go upstairs or downstairs. Um, and one of the things that um, sticks in my mind, it's sort of one of those memories, right, that you have, that, that, it's, that it's, it's a moment of time that's frozen and locked away, is that there was a season when both boys were, Caleb was, was crawling and very mobile, 
uh, Drew was into everything and running around. Um, and on the days that I would be able to get home before the boys uh, were, were in bed, I remember I would walk in the door and the door would open and I would hear Amy normally from somewhere upstairs and I would hear her yell, Daddy is home. And I would quickly put all of my stuff down and I would prepare because I could hear the patter of tiny little feet pounding down the hallway and they would round the corner and barely staying in control, like one of those drifting cars, right? Drew would drift around the corner and then he would come and he would take off and he would leap off of those four steps that led up and I would catch him. I love my adult children, and I could not be prouder. I was proud when that same little boy played in the band at Jenison Junior High. I'm still proud when he directs the band at Scullin Middle School. I was proud when Caleb would plunge into the pool and get set for the backstroke, and I'm still proud as he coaches Daniel Hernandez to do the same thing now as a varsity swim coach. I was proud when tiny little Michaela in sixth grade started playing water polo and I'm still proud as today she is not here because she's in the pool at Hudsonville High School playing for Grand Valley State. But if you have adult children, you understand what I'm about to say is that there's not, there's not, there's not a, a, tiny part of my heart that wouldn't want to just once go back and just one more time step through the door now again there's a lot that I wouldn't want to go through again I wouldn't want to stay oh but one time to one time to hear those little feet pounding down the hallway to hear Amy declare daddy's home. But that's not how it works, is it? We, we don't get to go backward. Whether or not we like it, whether or not it's what we want, we are called in the world in which we live to press forward. Today, we, we, we enter into a, a, a part of the story where that's what we find. We find the Israelites who, who, who are in a similar place. They, they stand at the Mount of God, and due to fear, and due to uncertainty, and, and due to pain, they don't want to approach the God who has rescued them from, from Egypt. They, they will time and time again during this season look at Moses, their leader, and say, we want to go back. Because there's a fear of pressing into new and uncharted territory, of encroaching on a new frontier. There's, there's a part of pressing headlong into the future that can be scary and filled with uncertainty. But, but they, like us, didn't have a choice in the matter. You see, they couldn't go back. The question that they had in the moment is really the same question that we're asked day by day. Is that will you trust God in this moment and this time? Will you trust him? Will I trust him in the face of an uncertain 
future. So Leviticus chapter 25, we we see here, the Lord said to Moses, right at Mount Sinai, right? So there's, there's, there's this information that's coming as of Israel are there. They're, they're receiving this, uh, this Mosaic covenant. They're receiving the law of the Lord. They've just been rescued from Egypt. They find themselves in this place. And, and this is what the Lord says. It says, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land, I'm going to give you, right? So hold on to that. God is about to give them something. He's about to give them land. One of the three prongs of the promise that God has made to Abram is that there's going to be a place for them The land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. And so we've already seen time and time again that God has called the people to rest as he has rested. Right? For six days they're supposed to work as an act of worship unto him. And then on the Sabbath day, the seventh day, they are to rest as an act of worship unto him. They're to do what they have seen him doing. But here is something that's a little bit different. Is that it's not just them the image-bearing creatures that are called to rest. It's also all of creation, the land that he is giving to them. For six years, sow your fields, and for six years, prune your vineyards and gather your crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath. A Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Yeah, we've we've actually talked about this um, quite a bit leading up to this to this place, and 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 I think that it's um, we've 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 laid out enough of what's going on here that we we kind of get why this is important to to God. But then he he goes on, and and I, and I want to jump down then to uh, verse twenty three, and I want to want to point out something else here, and, and and maybe linger down here for just a minute. It says the land must not be sold permanently, right? And so there's a reason for this. God tells them, hey, don't, don't sell the land permanently. Why? Because the land is mine and you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. So, so there's this, this dichotomy here. There's this, this tension that's given as God is giving them this land, but the land isn't theirs. The land is primarily God's and it's theirs, but it's his. Right? It's sort of like, and, and, and this is something that just drives Amy nuts, is when I talk about our farm back home. And she's like, it's not our farm, it's your dad's farm. I'm like, but yes, but it is. Right? There's this, there's this place and there's this spatial place. And, and, and I don't know how any of you feel about this, but those of us, I think, that were kind of raised on sort of the family home place, right, with, with, with land and with, with, with settled uh, heritage and things like that, there's a very real place that part of my identity is connected to that farm that Damon Moles bought with the money that he received from World War II that is connected to me, it's connected to the rest of us grandkids, that, that there's a sense in which that land we can't conceive as anything other than Papa's farm, right? So this land must not be sold permanently, God says. Why? Because it's mine. The Israelites then are caretakers. They are inhabitants of the land, but God asserts ownership throughout the land that you hold as a possession, God says, you must provide for the redemption of the land. God also gives another little clear instruction here that I think is very, very interesting is that throughout the land that you 
hold as a possession, right? So you possess it. It's mine. You're foreigners and strangers, but this is your place. This is the fulfillment of the promise that I'm, I made to Abram. But you must then provide for the redemption of not just people, but land. And why is this? Well, because the reality is, friends, is that the land for God's people was a means of provision, not a means of amassing wealth or oppressing others. God is giving instructions here about how he is providing for the Israelites and then how they're to respond to his provision. That the land for them was not their salvation, nor was it to be the resting place of their hope or their trust. The land wasn't what they were trusting in. God was. Which brings me to a question. And the question is probably four of the scariest words in the English language. And, and, and it's a question that we're asked often... And I want us to, to consider this morning how we answer this question in relationship to God. And that's this. Do you trust me? For some of us, this is a hard question. Um, not because we want to be mistrustful. Right? Some of us are. Let's just be honest. Some of us are just mistrustful. Right? Somebody wants to give us a hundred bucks and we're like, what do you want? Why? What's the, what's the catch? Right? You see, maybe, maybe it's not hard because we want to be mistrustful. Maybe it's not even hard because the person asking the question has earned our mistrust. Right? You can have people that, that you generally trust, that you generally, right, that you, that, that, that you know that they're on your team, but, but sometimes when, even when people that you trust, ask you a question, it, it, it prompts this little mistrust governor that's in your brain, and, and, and you want to know why they're asking you to trust them. If you would just give me the information, then that would be, that would help with my level of being able to believe you. And, and, but here's the thing, you guys, trust is hard because at some point in our lives, now here's, here's the thing, why is trust hard? Because at some point in our lives, we have been or we have felt betrayed. Can I get a witness? Amen. Right? Maybe it was a friend. Or maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was a parent. Or a boss or a co-worker. Maybe you're one of those folks that, that you're here you're here, but you haven't been to church in a long time because the betrayer in your past was a pastor. Or maybe, let's just be honest, having walked through a season of intense and exceptional darkness, maybe you have even felt betrayed by God. 
This passage this morning, there's a lot there, but but today what I want to do is we want to hold it up and we want to kind of look at it and consider uh, this passage from from the perspective of an invitation. And the invitation uh, to not just... Not just to learn something theologically about what God is calling the Israelites to, but, but to look at this passage from the perspective of an invitation, not just to them, but to us through them, and that is this, is to, to trust God. Are we, how do we answer the question when God asks, do you trust me? And the reality is, is that the Israelites, and by extension us, were being asked to do something extremely hard, but extremely courageous that demands exceptional strength and immense faith because God is asking us to trust him as sovereign and to trust in his ownership of all things. God is inviting the Israelites and by extension us to remember that just as they were, we are foreigners and strangers in the land that we in these two simple invitations there's a a third implicit call it kind of lays lays under these other two is is that God invites the Israelites to trust him enough then to rest in him is that If he asks the question, do you trust me? And then if I have the courage to say yes, then the follow-up to that is, will you trust me enough to rest in me? So I was thinking through this this week. I, I, I just kept asking over and over in my mind, okay, Lord, what are you inviting me then to do today? If you're inviting me to trust in you, if you're inviting me to rest in you, if you're inviting me to to do this, then then what are you inviting me to do today? And then what does that look like? What does that look like in real life? I, I think it's one thing, you guys, for us to say, yes, Lord, we trust you. It's another thing for us to hear the call that daddy is home and to run headlong down the down the hallway to, to skid like a fast and furious drifter and then to, to jump into his arms. The first thing, the first thing I, I, I want us to consider this morning as we, we again just kind of think through and, and, and unpack this, this passage of scripture is, is the question of do, do I trust God with ownership of what I think is mine? That's kind of the first thing, the first question I, I felt you know, prompted to consider this week is like, okay, what are the things in this life that I consider to be mine? Right, the little equinox with the vanity plate on the back of it out in the, right? So what, what, what do I consider to be mine? What do I have ownership of? All of the things that I think that I possess, am I functioning in such a way that I really can acknowledge that I possess things that I don't own and I don't have the final say-so over how they are used. And I have possession over resources that I don't have the final say-so of, of, of how they are mitigated or handed out. That, that, that everything that I think that I own is his first 
and mine because he has entrusted it to me. Do I trust God enough to let him set the terms, now listen to me, of my work? Am I any less Dennis if I don't stand on this stage on a weekly basis and do what I've been trained to do? Am I any less Dennis if I lose something that I hold great identity in? Am I any less a part of the Damon Moles family if at some point in the future the farm changes hands and is no longer a piece of property on this earth that I can call mine? Because it's not mine. Do I trust God with ownership of what I think is mine? The, the second thing that I, that, that, I, that I began to ask myself is do I trust him to provide for, for my, my needs, right? This, this invitation that God is issuing to the children of Israel is to trust him as provider, Right? You've worked seven days a week for all of your life, and now I'm asking you to take one week and rest as I rested. I'm asking you to take one year and to rest as I rested, but also not just you, but to allow the land to rest as I rested. Am I confident enough that God will provide all of my needs that I'm able to step aside and rest in him? One of the things I think is, is funny is that while, while the children of Israel are in the desert, right? So they're, they're there and they're in the desert. They're, they're wandering around and they're like, you know, we're hungry. And God gives them the manna or the, what is this? And, and so God gives them the, what is this? And they eat the, what is this? And he provides it for them and he gives them all this instruction. And they're like, hey, we want meat. We want meat, which I totally get. <laughs> right? We had friends when we lived in Mount Vernon, Ohio, and they were vegetarians, and they loved us so much that when they would invite us over for dinner, they would buy one of those shrimp wheel thingies because they knew that Dennis was a carnivore, right? Um, but what do, we, what, what do we do then when we, we, we look um, at all of the things that we think are providing for our needs. And so, so you have the children of Israel that, that, that when they, they, they got into the land, right, God was allowing them to possess the land as a part of their provision. But I wonder what it was like the first day that they were in the, the land and the what is it didn't fall from the sky anymore. Are we willing to trust God as our provider when the way or the means that he provides changes? Do I trust God enough, friends, I wonder, enough to stay in my lane? Now you're thinking, oh, well, sure, I can stay in my lane. I can, I can do my thing. And that's, that's real, right? Staying in my lane, folks, is easy as long as people that are outside of my lane do things exactly the way I want them to do things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but the minute. The minute somebody in their lane isn't doing what I think they need to be doing in their lane... It gets a little bit agitating, does it not? 
It becomes a, it becomes a struggle to, to ask God, God, do, do I trust you enough to do what is my job and to allow you to do your job, especially when it comes to the people that I love or the people that I care about or the people over which I, I feel like I have some sort of responsibility spiritually, right? Do I trust him enough and love you enough to allow you to make your own decisions even when those decisions seem poor? Do I love and trust God enough to allow the Spirit of God to do the Spirit's work? And can I stay in my lane and trust Him and do what I have been called to do? When I was growing up, this was a common theme that that I heard from from pastors and church leaders and was like, um, you know, well, I don't judge. Bill, I don't judge. I'm just a fruit inspector. Right? And, and when I heard that, I'm like, okay, number one, you're a fruit inspector, but you're also a jerk. <laughs> Byron, a jerk face, right? That's, what it, that's it. Right? Don't be a jerk face like a fruit inspector quite often. But, right, but those people, what, what would they do, right? There was a struggle then to stay in their lane. Do I trust God enough to, to stay in my lane, to do what he's called me to do? Right, here's the thing, right? Well, Dennis, what, what does this have to do with this passage? Well, here... Do we trust God enough to do what he's called us to do, right? To not, in in, in the Israelites' case here, right? Don't work on the Sabbath day. Allow the land to rest. Do I trust him to say, you are God and I am me and I'm going to do what you've called me to do even when I don't understand it. I'm going to love my neighbor, even the neighbor that does a tap dance on my last nerve. Because that's what you've called me to do. I'm going to, t- to care for those that are marginalized and the least of these. I'm going to do that because that's what you've called me to do. I am going to seek to follow Jesus, not just with my mouth, but with my, my life. Because that's what you've called me to do. I'm going to choose to allow the sword of the Spirit, thank you Joel Razdal, to be a scalpel that works on my own heart before I use it as a weapon to beat others into submission. Do we trust him enough to stay in our lane? Do we trust him enough? Do I trust him enough, friends, to place me where I need to be? There have been times in my life, friends, where I have wondered, God, do you really know what you're doing? Because it would be much nicer if I weren't here, but I were there. Several years ago, I had the opportunity uh, while working at Our Daily Bread to develop a friendship with Joe Stoll. Some of you probably remember Joe. He was the president of Cornerstone. Before that, he was the president of Moody. And uh, Joe's hilarious. He's great. He is one of those really gifted and earnest guys. I've never been around anyone else that could work a room quite like Joe could work a room. He was kind of masterful. Um, to watch him do this. But while we were traveling together, he would often preach at these pastor's conferences and he would, he would preach a message and he would talk about a, a, a card that he got from his mother-in-law that said, bloom where you're planted. And one day after dinner, I was talking to him and I said, you know, Joe, I said, it's awfully easy for you to say that to these men. He said, well, what do you mean? And I said, how big was the church in Southfield when you were pastoring there when you were in your early 30s? 
Oh, it was pretty large. It was, you know, several hundred or a thousand or whatever. It's okay. So you had a big staff? Yeah. You know, you, you had plenty of, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How old were you when Moody called and asked you to be the president of Moody Bible Institute? Oh, I was this age and blah, blah, blah. And, and I said, and that worked out. Yeah, that was during that season that Marty and I, we bought our cabin up north here and this and that and the other. Right? And I, again, and I'm looking at him. I said, so, so, so the reality is, as I said, I, I understand and what you're saying is true. And I absolutely honor the fact that you are earnest when you're saying this. I said, but you're preaching to some of these guys that they're pastoring a church of 40 people. And they haven't gotten a full paycheck in probably three to six months. And they listen and they hear these things from the guy who writes books and who has national radio ministries and things like that. And, and they're probably looking at that and they're thinking, man, it's really easy to bloom where you're planted. And Joe was great and he received that and we had a really good conversation. But, but the reality is, folks, The question that we're asking today and the point that Joe was trying to make to those pastors is really true. Is that I, do I trust God enough to place me where he needs me and wants me to be? Because just as it was in the scriptures, right, when, when Peter looks at John and says, well, Lord, what about him? And Jesus' response very graciously and very lovingly to Peter is, what do I do with John? It's none of your business. You follow me. Do I trust God enough, friends, to place me where he needs me to be? Do I trust God enough to surrender what I, what I think is mine? You're like, well, well Dennis, you, you said this, right? You, you talked earlier about do I trust God? God with ownership of what I think is mine. Well, that, there's two different things here. To trust God with ownership of what I think is mine and then to surrender the thing that I think is mine are two different things. It's one thing to acknowledge that God owns everything. It's another thing to lay it down on the altar before him. Do I trust him enough to surrender what I, the things that I think are mine, my gifts, my talents, my person, the people that I love what does it mean to trust God? Not just with everything sort of ethereally, but what does it mean to trust God enough to allow my children to make their own decisions? To trust and to surrender to people that are in authority over me even when they're not doing what I think that they ought. To trust my friends and my family when I'm spent and when I'm exhausted and when I'm overwhelmed, do I trust God enough to surrender the things that I think are mine? I said earlier that I love my adult children. I have loved every um, season of parenting. But to those of you that have small kiddos, here's what I want to say is that in some ways it's exhausting in what you're doing, but um, just wait when they get to be adults and you can't control them the way you control them now? When they grow their own minds and they have their own thoughts and they do what they want to do and they say, I'm 18, I can make this decision to myself. And then you're like, okay, well then you can pay your car insurance and for college and all this kind of stuff. And so, Right? See, see, the reality is, friends, is that there's a sense in which we, we think that we have ownership of all of these things, but we really, really 
don't. And the call here in this passage to our Israelite mothers and fathers is the same call I think that the Spirit is issuing to us today. And that is do we trust him enough to surrender the things that we think that we own but really we don't own at all. And maybe the, the last thing that, that we'll say, and, 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 and this is really based on that last little portion of Scripture where it talks about making sure that the land is redeemable, right? That we've said over and over over the last several months that right, the gospel precedes the law, that the gospel is baked in. And from the very beginning, God is the God who pursues, and God is the God who, who loves us. And, and, and the question that I sort of settled in, and the last thing that I asked myself as I was working through this passage this week is, Lord, do I really trust you to redeem what has been sold off, stolen, and broken? Are you big enough? To redeem what's been sold off, stolen, and broken. Are you big enough to redeem it? See, the point of, of the gospel, friends, is not that God will keep us away from pain and struggle and suffering. is that he is the God who is big enough to bring redemption and resurrection to those places and spaces in our lives. And I know, I know, I know that many of us have found ourselves and maybe we find ourselves in spaces right now where if we were really honest, we would look to the Lord and say, we would rather not learn this lesson this way. But the reality is, is that God does not waste a hurt. It's that just as he was faithful to provide redemption in Leviticus chapter 25, he is faithful to provide that in our lives as well. But it often doesn't look like the way we think it's going to look. As the worship team comes, I, I, I think there's no better illustration of, of that than as we think back and we, we consider what the apostles thought they were getting into when Jesus called them to be his disciples. They, they thought that, that Jesus' ministry as Messiah was going to look much different than it did. They didn't conceive of the fact that Jesus had come to die to take care of their sin problem, not to overthrow Rome. They thought they were, were in a position of power. They thought they were signing up for a place of authority. They thought they were in... in they were on the inside of the one who was going to overthrow all the empiric powers in the world and rule and, to, and reign. That's what they thought they were uh, all about. But on the night that Jesus was betrayed, when he took bread and he broke it, when he passed the cup, when he, he, he reinstituted uh, the Passover as a time of remembrance of the sacrifice that he was about to make, what he was telling them was something that they had never conceived, is that God was going to take care of their biggest problem, not by avoiding death and suffering, but by surrendering to it and then overcoming it. And so, my friends, no matter where you find yourself, no matter what struggle you face, 
today, no matter what area it is that, that, that God is saying, do you trust me? And you, like Jairus, whose little daughter is laying, dying, say to the Lord, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. No matter where you find yourself, remember and take heart that God doesn't guarantee that we won't experience pain. What he guarantees is that he will walk with us through that pain. And there's hope and resurrection on the other side of that. And even even though we may not see it in our life that there is hope. Why do we trust friends? Because there's hope. As the elders come and, and, and prepare to, to gather around the table today, this is the invitation. The invitation is, is to come to come as a declaration of your faith, your hope, and your trust. As we often say uh, around here, um, this is, this is uh, God's table, and he invites his, his children uh, to come to this. And, and, and as we take the bread, we are giving two things. We're, we're giving testimony that Jesus is Lord, and we're proclaiming our love for him and our faith and our hope that he's going to come again. Uh, we are declaring that Jesus is Lord, and we're looking forward to the time where he comes and sets all things right. When we do this with the bread, when we do this with the cup, that's what we're, we're testifying. And so if you're a part of, of God's family, if that's something that's true of you, then you are invited to come and to partake and to gather around the table with us. But if you're here today um, and maybe you've never made that public profession, this can be your public profession. This can be the time where you come and you declare, yes, I believe that Jesus is Lord. I am hoping in his death, burial, and resurrection for salvation. The only thing we would ask is that you would tell one of the elders, allow them to pray for you as, as you're doing this. But again, uh, the, the thing that I often remind us when we gather around the table is that the table isn't so much a test of your belief in God. It's a testimony of his belief in you. Because this is what he gave because he loves you. That when we couldn't do enough to make peace with him, God said, do you trust me? And he took everything that we had to offer, which was sin and death and the fall, and he gave us his righteousness. And that is what we testify of. The table isn't for perfect people. It's for people who trust and people who hope. So God, as we come into your presence today, as we enter into this time and this moment of gathering around your table, we pray that you would meet us in this space. Lord, that because of your faithfulness, that we would experience hope and trust this morning. So God, we pray that you would bless this bread and that you would bless this cup. As we come today, may we experience your love and your grace in new and fresh ways. Father, thank you for loving us. 
thank you for being bigger than our questions and bigger than our doubts. Thank you for being better than all of the folks in our lives that have disappointed us and betrayed us. And Lord, even when we don't understand and even when we feel abandoned by you, thank you for being there with us to carry us through and to walk beside us. So we love you and praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. The elders are going to situate themselves, two over here, two in the center, two to this side. Um, as they get ready and um, get into their spots, you may come to the table, receive the elements. You can take them up front. You can take them back to your seats. Um, either way is perfectly fine. There's also gluten-free bread available if you need that. It's right here on the table. All right. Please come to the table. Holy, there is 
no one like you There is none beside you Open up my eyes in wonder And show me who you are And fill me with your heart And lead me in your love To those around me Oh, holy, there is no
so this morning as we, we go from here, I know that there are probably many of you, not probably, I know that there are many of you that are sitting out here and you say, but Dennis, what happens? How do you trust when your kid is in harm's way? How do you trust? When your six-day-old baby is having open-heart surgery. How do you trust when the person that you trusted most is gone? I know for many of you, that question of do you trust me is just a bigger question than it is for some of us right now. And the only thing that I have to say, the only thing that I can rely on is that as I look back in my life and on those moments where I was asked to trust God, even in those moments where things didn't work out the way that they worked, that I wanted them to work out or in the way that I thought would be most pleasing to God in those spaces, what I found is that sometimes even years after that, I could look back and I could see that God hadn't abandoned me. He was with me. And so as we continue to pray for one another, as we continue to walk with one another, let us continue to hope and trust for one another. I think especially of Noah and Julie and Winnie this morning. And I'm reminded of the prayer of Jairus. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And what was the signal that Jairus hadn't stopped believing? He kept walking with Jesus. So my friends this morning, keep walking with Jesus. So Father, we pray and we ask that you would continue to walk with your children during the hard times, during the unsettling times, that we would trust you as owner and provider and sustainer of all things. And even when it's hard, May we hope and trust in the God who created all things, who has conquered sin, death, and the fall, and will one day come and set things right. May we rest in that Sabbath while we long for your appearing in the mighty and the strong and the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Go in his peace.